to Job 27, and, or Job 25. I'm going to get myself there, because a lot of the times I have this highlighted. Bildad, again, the story, you know the story enough to know that God points Job out to the devil. Satan says, well, Job's only uh, fears you because you take such good care of him. He doesn't, he, you know, you take away his blessing and he'll curse you to the face and want to die, die. And so two stages of Satan's given the authority, the permission to afflict him. First, it's loss of everything, all of his wealth, all of his means, all of his family, his children. Then he worships and releases it back to God. But then later, God points it out to Satan. Look at my, look at my servant Job. He's, he's walks in integrity. He's blameless. He's, he's, he fears God. He shuns evil. And he says, yeah, but, you know, it's because he's still got his health. Just strike his health, skin for skin. You know where they get that old saying, skin in the game? Game out of Job. Got to get your skin in the game. Let until you, you, we don't know where you really are. So God gives him permission to strike him. And that problem is to the point unto death, not to death. Death cannot, don't kill him. And so he gets the boils. The boils are just the most painful off from the top of his head, the crown of, crown of his, you know, from the top of his head to the soles of his feet. And he just takes a broken piece of pottery and he just starts cutting it, you know, scraping himself. His sons, uh, his friends, three friends show up. Yeah. We, you, you know those friends. And they sit with him for seven days in silence as they see they can't even recognize him. He has been so afflicted. Then Job speaks after silence and says, and curses the day he was born. He did not curse God. He just cursed the day he was born and wished he could die. He is in great grief. This is a story if you ever look for an understanding of grief and affliction and trouble and struggle, that, this is the story. But after he does that, Bildad has re received a, a satanic dream, and it's in chapter 4, and we pointed it out last week, so I won't, I'll just jump from there. Uh, but here's Bildad, last one to speak again. There's nine, eight, eight different, or yeah, about eight, nine discourses and Job's having to respond. He's being accused. They're saying you did something wrong because God, God, God is after dealing with any sin anywhere, anytime. And the only reason these kinds of things happen is because you've got to be in a problem. You need to get right with God. He's saying, no, I'm walking in my integrity. And he's being forced to defend himself. See, a lot of times we get in arguments and we end up having to hold a position we don't really even believe in. We defend something we really don't even want to but we're being uh, challenged, and then the challenge release. And, and so this is, a, this is horrific, and it's gone on for months, not necessarily the conversation, but the affliction. So in chapter 25, the last accusation, Bildad recounts, and, and it's three times in, in the discourses, this satanic hatred of humanity that he's trying to tag on the face of God. And so... He, again, begins in verse uh, 1 of 25. Then Bildad, the Shunite, answered and said, Dominion and fear belong to him. He makes peace in his... Yeah, he makes peace in his high places. Is there any number to his armies? Upon whom does his light not rise? He's everywhere. He's... And how then can a man be righteous before God? That is, it's always a little off, enough to make you strive and, and, and feel like, whoa. How can a, he be pure who's born of a woman? If you can hear the satanic hatred of us who have been born in the image of God, whom God loves dearly. Oh, just already from the beginning. Even if the moon does not shine. Or excuse me. How then can a man, verse 4, I, I jumped, you were on top. How then can a man be righteous before God? How can he be pure who's born of a woman? If even the moon 
does not shine and the stars are not pure in his eyes. You just get this picture that God created creation and hates us. That's the spirit you will feel after you have been tormented by the spirit of religion attacking you in any point of affliction to which God has opened and given permission. Nothing happens without his permission, but everything is to end with his conclusion. But in the midst of it, hell wants to do something. Hell puts pressure on me, so I will collapse, so I will give up my faith, so I will curse God, so I'll say there's no reason to keep doing what I'm doing. It doesn't seem to be working. And God, and God says, go ahead, because faith needs to be tested. If it's not tested, it's not, it's not functional. It will be capitulated every time. So, and they're going to try with their own might, and we've got to work out a whole bunch of stuff, and all of that testing of the faith brings patience. And we just got to let that patience have its perfect work because then you're going to be perfect and entire and complete and lack nothing. So God sees an advantage. He's, we're we're going to turn buff. I mean, we're going to be a beautiful bride. We're going to be gorgeous. We're going to have the same capacity in Christ that Christ had in the Father that he functioned in on the earth, so will we. And that's God's in the midst of that. But he does not hate us. He loves us. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Love never, love is always the issue being contended over. And, and, and every time Romans 8 tells us that love, we cannot be separated from the love of God. To be separated means there's a distance, a room between us. And God says, no, I don't want any rooms between you and my love. I want you in my love, in my son. How much less then, how much less man who is a maggot and a son of man who is a worm. And I'm telling you, we go back to chapter 4, and this is a vision in the night by a demonic spirit. I'm no less has to have been Satan because Satan was in the bed, and he was trying to make sure he tipped the scale because if he could put him through something, which is the most painful thing I know is not that which I go through but the accusation in myself of why I'm here and how I got here and conflict and how could I be here. So Job, um, now I'm going to have to jump uh, portions. In Job chapter 27, Job uh, verse 2 and 6, Job answers, and he's, his trouble now is he's, he's holding his integrity, and because he's holding his integrity, he's going to be justifying that he is not wrong. And because the intention is coming against him, his attention will be on himself. And soon God will be a part and parcel in the problem because he doesn't know that the devil's done all this. And he does not know that God, he's just kind of getting a big conflict. But God's got something. He's after something so perfect that he's not going to relent to allow this conversation. Sometimes those arguers are the ones that are helping us come into faith and trust in Jesus. As God lives, he has taken away my justice. These are the last words of Job. They're going to continue to chapter 30, uh, chapter 31. And the Almighty who has made my soul bitter. Now, I, there is a, a place to complain to God and tell him where your soul is and where you see life as you see it. But they'll always give God then the chance to talk back because he will, he will reframe where you are and why you are where you are with who he is and where he is and why he is where he is. And you'll get to change locations. Forward your mail there. As long as my breath is in me and the breath of God in my nostrils. He's an integrous man. My lips will not speak wickedness nor my tongue utter deceit. Far be it from me that I should say you are right. Till I die, I will not put away my integrity from me. This is why he is this conflict. He has self-righteousness that he has the works to prove it. But this is nothing before God. And God wants to have a relationship that's not built on works and in, in trust. So he says, my righteousness, I will hold fast. 
And I, I know you've been there. People are pounding you. You've done something wrong. You're not, you, you're not listening. You're not doing. You know. I will not let it go. My heart shall not reproach me as long as I live. May my enemy be. I'm going to keep where I am. Yeah, that's good. So he's firm. Now in chapter 27, uh, he, he says, and I, I just did that. I'm going to jump to 29, verse 2. As Job, Job recounts how wonderful it used to be. Have you ever had had a chance to think back? I remember the old, good old days. He said, he goes, oh, that I were as it was in the months past, as in the days when God watched over me, when the lamp shone upon my head, when his light I walked through darkness, just as I was in the days of my prime, when the friendly counsel of God was over my tent, when the Almighty was yet with me, my children were around me, when my steps were bathed with cream and the rock poured out rivers of oil for me. Job has experienced what we all experience is that when things are going good, we are able to sense God close to us. When things are going bad, it, all, it feels as though he has moved away from us. And that's what he's now saying. He, and he goes on to talk about just, this is a beautiful chapter of of God's positioning Job and holding him in a place of great grace, great favor, great honor. And he's, though, falling um, in, in struggle with it because he's not there anymore. Chapter 30, I'm just jumping through because, again, uh, ver- uh, he says in verse 1, but now they mock me, my, the younger than I, and whose fathers I disdain to go and put to work with my dogs of the flock. He is, his, have you ever had the tables turn? You're on, one, you're on the top one day, you're on the bottom the next day, you go. And the people who looked at you and thought of value, now they're looking at you and condemning you or suspicious of how you got there. He goes on, I'm just going uh, to... Uh, Verse, uh, oh, I see it. Verse 20, chapter 30. I cry out to you, but you do not answer me. He's talking to God. I stand up, but you just you regard me. You don't do anything. You've become cruel to me. With the strength of your hand, you oppose me. You lift me up to the wind and cause me to ride on it. You spoil my success. For I know that you will bring me to death at the house appointed for all the living. Now, you have to remember that God says that Job spoke truthfully of him. He had a limited perspective. We have the Jesus. We have so much more to know that we are forever protected, cared for, and loved, even in affliction and distress, even in sickness, that we are loved and forever protected and cared for. So we can never get overwhelmed but keep pressing toward the one who is life for everything. But he doesn't know that. Job 31 and verse 6. Job is frustrated as, you, as any of us would be, as I have been many times, that it just feels like I'm being getting the short end of the stick. I do everything that God's told me to do. I, I've been, and now I'm the one, I can't get out of this. So Job 31 verse 6. Uh, Let me be weighed on honest scales that God may know my integrity. See, like, testing puts inside our soul a sense of distance from God. And therefore, we don't understand all the dynamics. If you want to ever read a really good uh, discourse and apologetics on, on the, the problem of pain, there's a book titled Problem of Pain by C.S. Lewis. And a guy who began as an atheist found God, and so he could process things. He deducts. I listen to his stuff, and I go, you're asking, you're asking questions I've never even asked. And you've got answers I didn't even know I needed. Like filling in all the blanks. 
Because he's, it's, so there's, if you ever, so he said, I want to be weighed on honest scales, that God may know my integrity. If my step is turned from the way, or my heart walked after my eyes, or if any spot adheres to my hands, then let me sow and another eat, let, yes, my harvest. He's saying, I'm not being treated fairly. I shouldn't be here. I've, and he goes on, and this is his last chapter, and it gets thick. Now, at first, you can just read it and go, you know, golly, Job, I don't think anybody could be as righteous as you are. But I, I read it, and I get convicted. I don't live this way. I'm not walking in the fashion you have, yet you are putting yourself in a position. He said, verse 35, 31:35. this is his closing. Oh, that I had one to hear me. Here's my mark. Here's my signature. Oh, that the Almighty would answer me. He doesn't, he wants an audience with God. He feels like he has, he's, he's owed one. He's trying to press for it. That my prosecutor had written a book. He doesn't know where all of this is originating, but he says, I want that book. I want it written down. I want to be in court. I would carry it on my shoulder. I'd bind it on my, me like a crown. So he is so full of himself because he's tried to defend himself from such destructive words of, of, of conflict that he's here. I would declare to him the number of my steps. Like a prince, I would approach him. This is the God. He, I would, I, if my land cries out against me, and if its furrows weep together, if I've eaten its fruit without money or caused its owner to lose their lives, then let thistles grow instead of wheat and weeds instead of barley. The words of Job are ended. So, again, the, the story is, is so full of encounters and experiences with God. But now we, we go to a fourth man. You know, the fourth man. The one who showed up in the furnace for the, for the Hebrews. He, he's the one, Elihu, which means God the strength of God, or the strength of God third person. It's kind of an interesting, but he's a real man. It says, uh, so chapter 32, so these three men cease answering Job because he was righteous in his own eyes. Then the wrath of Elihu, the son of Barakel, of the Buzite, of the family of Ram, was aroused against Job. His wrath was aroused because he, Job, justified himself rather than God. That is huge. Oh, this is where we're, this is where God's after. He cannot, he, he but, but he goes on. He, his, he, his, also against his three friends, his wrath was aroused because they had found no answer. They could not bring a solution. They could not really help him. They couldn't come up with an, an, a, 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 a refute his argument, yet they condemned Job. To condemn someone off is without, it's like, it's so easy. Condemnation's cheap. Accusation's easy. You can slander anyone, and no one can, and they cannot come out from under that slander for years just because we're angry. And we have no right to do it to any man. We cannot differentiate from enemy and friend. Our words must be the same, and they must never speak evil because we have a fountain. And out of this little fountain comes pure water, pure water of praise and thanksgiving and honor and, and, and the word of God. But if in this same little fountain I curse my friends, I curse my neighbor, I yell at the TV, I wish for people to die, then I'm coming out with salt water. And where I live at the river bottom in Ventura, it's, you have brackish water. You know what brackish water is? It's where salt water and pure water, fresh water mix. And only few things can live in it. Ducks can swim on it. But you can't drink it. I can't drink it. And so he says, what happens then is that we lose the audience with God unless we repent of our conversation from the devil. So this is really interesting. 
And he's going to now say in this chapter, here, I've got to talk. I've been quiet because I'm young, but I have wisdom. I have the spirit. I am going to speak. Chapter 33, he starts, each of these chapters, he addresses one or two issues. Um, in first, uh, he, chapter 33, verse 9 through 17. Let's see what it says. Uh, verse 8, surely you have spoken in my hearing, speaking to Job. He's talking to Job. And I've heard the sound of your words saying, I am pure without transgression. I am innocent, and there is no iniquity in me. I'm telling you that Job wasn't looking for the fight, but the fight came to him, and he tried to defend himself. And after a while, he began to speak of things he could, did not know anything of because we do not know what's in us except what God allows us to see. It's blissfully a lot of times. He leave, leaves us in an unaware state until he's ready to deal with it. Because he's bringing us into the image of Jesus Christ. Heart, soul, body. Yet he finds occasion against me. He counts me as his enemy. So I'm perfect, but now God's my enemy. He puts my feet in stocks. He watches all my paths. I mean, I want to Look. In this you are not righteous. I will answer you. For God is greater than man. He addressed the first thing is God speaks. You don't feel like God's talking to you, but he is talking to you, but you don't know discerning of the way he speaks. Why do you contend with him? For he does not give an accounting of any of his words. You will never bring God to our level. We cannot, we will not. He will refuse us demanding him to meet us on our terms. He will wait for us that he might be gracious to us. In a dream, God may speak in one way or in another, yet man does not perceive it. A lot of times people, I don't get anything when I read the Bible. I don't read, I don't, no, no, no. We're the ones not paying attention. In a dream, in a vision at night, we de with deep sleep falls upon men while slumbering in their beds, then he opens the ears of men and seals their instructions. In order, why would you do that? To turn man from his deed and conceal pride. He knows knowledge puffs up. He knows that we have in our flesh no good thing. And our soul is in our flesh because it's part of our blood. And we're very much in touch with the world we're walking through. So he's trying to not allow us. He's trying to pull us into the spirit, into truth. He keeps back his soul from the pit and his life from perishing by the sword. So he's just helping us. Want to pay attention. Be, if a man is chastened with pain on his bed, with strong pain in many of his bones, he then talks about someone comes along, a mediator, an angel. Someone helps him see God's integrity or God's uprightness and his call to his, that person in suffering's uprightness. And what happens is there's an intercession that goes on. And that one who can see the suffering has a, an outcome that God would bring, that they would receive and they would accept. You begin to have a capacity to bring forth intercession. And God will hear that intercession and bring that person out of their sick bed, out of their struggle, and make their life perfect and beautiful again. And they'll go and declare to everybody, I've been delivered from what I deserve. I deserve where I was headed, but God delivered me. And then he says, God will do this once. He'll do it twice. He'll do it three times. So Elihu is having to defend God. No one has dealt with the issue of God yet because they all got caught up in themselves. So now we jump ahead. I don't know where I am. 36. I, wanted to, I just want to get to this, the closing of this, but Job 36, verse 5. Behold, God is mighty. No, no, no. Third, verse 35, third chapter, hoo, hoo, hoo. chapter 35, verse 1. 35. Moreover, Elihu answered and said, Do you think this is right? Do you... Do you say my righteousness is more than God's? <laughs> For you say, what advantage will it be to you? What profit shall I have sinned more than 
than if I had sinned? This is an age-old question. Why do the, why do the wicked prosper? That's why Malachi is in three, and Asaph addresses it in Psalms. Uh, I will answer you. Now, now, now hear this. This is, this is, this is, this, I read this stuff, and I get so humbled because I think, I think the world goes around me. At least that's how I perceive it, the world going around me. So I think all that I see and everything is me. I will answer you and your companions with you. Look to the heavens and see. And behold the clouds. Okay, just get your vision up, up a little higher. They are higher than you. Now here's the question. You've got to listen to this because this will change everything. If you sin, what do you accomplish against him? And if your transgressions are multiplied, what do you do to him? As though God's going, ooh, ouch, ouch, no more. Come on, ouch, ouch. If you are righteous, what do you give him? Oh, I feel so much more love coming from the earth. I feel much better about myself. No, God is God. He's self-sufficient, and he's placed himself into relationship with man and, desi- and humbled himself so he could be touched, but he cannot be touched if we try to touch him. It's like a child telling a parent, you're not going to give me my weight. I'm just going to hold my breath. I'm going to make you do what I want you to do. I'm going to control you. God is not controlled. If he was controllable, then he's not God. Your wickedness affects a man such as you. And your righteousness, a son of man. Because of the multitude of oppressions, they cry out. You're getting so fast, I'm I'm not reading quick enough. Go. There's a part about righteousness. Verse 8, what does 8 say? Your wickedness affects a man such as you, and your righteousness, son of man. So the, the impact of sin is, is, is this way, guys. That's what's whacking the world about. But it doesn't affect who God is or the ability for God to act as he chooses. Because of the multitude of oppressions. Now catch this, because this is what we don't. I don't do this when I'm in the trouble. I'm, when I'm stressed and distressed, I don't remember this. Because of the multitude of oppressions, they cry out. Help me. That was what God, help me. They cry out for help because of the arm of the mighty, those who are oppressing him. But no one, now pause, listen. But no one says, where is God my maker? Who gives songs in the night? He's, in, he's having to identify the selfishness of man, the self-centeredness of man, the fact that we think the world should go as we perceive it and it ought to be and the way we want it to be. And, and no one's saying, God, without accusation, without challenge, without, it's not fair where I am. Where are you? I, wanna, I want to hear the songs that you give in the night again. I want to come back into union. So he's addressing this in chapter 35. He then jumps in chapter 36 about God is mighty, verse uh, 21. No, verse 5. God is mighty, but he despises no one. He is mighty in strength and understanding. He does not preserve the life of the wicked. He gives justice to the oppressed. He does not withdraw his eyes from the righteous, but they are on the throne with kings, for he has seated them forever. They are exalted. And if they are bound, verse 8, within fetters, held in the cords of affliction, then he tells them their work and their transgressions, that they, might be act, that they have acted defiantly. He also opens their ear to instructions and commands them to turn from the iniquity. If they obey and serve him, they shall spend their days in prosperity and their years in pleasure. But if they do not obey, they shall perish by the sword and they shall die without knowledge. This will be the trouble with all the prophets we're going to read once we get into Jeremiah especially. That, listen to this one verse and I'll go on. But the hypocrites in the heart, they store up wrath and they do not cry for help when he binds them. It's like not yielding to instruction, not yielding to correction, not feeling that I have to give in to the, to the, to the stronger God. Chapter 37, the last of Elihu's, uh, he starts to have to speak to creation uh, 
And he starts to talk about the thunder, the lightning, the watering. I love this verse right here in um, verse uh, 10. By the breath of God, ice is given. Verse 11, he, with moisture, he saturates thick clouds. Verse 12, and they swirl about him, being turned by his guidance, that they may do whatever he commands them on the face of the whole earth. He causes it to come. This is the same. One storm can have three purposes or multiple purposes for multiple reasons. He says he causes it to come, whether it's for correction or for the land or to show mercy. Isn't that beautiful? He's looking. All we're going to find is if the heart of the man pleases God, all that God brings in response is things that bless us into his image and bless us into help, and he can do mighty things and, and do more than we'll ever do in our lifetime. So he comes, uh, verse 23, As for the Almighty, this is Elihu, who's now been lifting up God, getting, his, getting him off of the playing field as though he is equal to man and has to come under our scrutiny. Lifting him high. And then he says in verse 23, as for the Almighty, we cannot find him. He is exalted in power, in judgment, in abundant justice. He does not oppress. Therefore, men fear him. He shows no partiality to any who are wise of heart. Now, we, I, I read the book of Job, and I just throw myself at the legs of Jesus and kiss his feet and wipe my my, wipe my tears off his feet with my hair. And I just say unto him, uh, you, uh, I just see the provision. Because without his provision, I have no hope to have relationship based on righteousness. I'll never be as good as Job is. I already know that. And the way he lived, the way he cared for the poor, the way he cared for the oppressed, he was awesome. But now, verse, chapter 38, verse 1. It's God's turn. Notice he doesn't show up when Job's complaining and blaming. You can have a prayer meeting with God. He doesn't even show up. You can sit in your room, accuse him all you want, get with your friends and do the same. He's not showing up. He does not show up until somebody has a sense enough to say, I think if God made us, created us, and did all of this, then he is better and bigger and larger than us, and I want to lift you up and move up, move into giving you some praise. In fact, in fact the, the secret place goes out Tuesday. I, I felt the Lord say, challenge everyone to praise me for seven days, to respond to in everything with praise, and give me praise in everything. And praise me. Just praise me. Just praise me. And I'm, I'm looking forward. I already started it because I wrote it last week. <laughs> and, and, and the praise is, the praise is it's, it lifts you out of. You see, I'm stuck in a conflict that's going like this. And God's up here. And the conflict can't even reach him. He just said, you can send your head off. It doesn't change who I am. And you can be the most righteous person that anybody ever met like Job. And I am not impressed. Come up here. Lift me up. So now, Elihu shifted atmosphere, praise, and here comes God. Ooh, boy. The Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind. That's, yeah. And said, the whirlwind is a storm. It's the same whirlwind that Ezekiel saw coming out of the south in Babylon. It is the glory of God in manifestation, strong, dismantling. It's the whirlwind, the same whirlwind that took Elijah up, Elijah up to heaven after the chariot separated he from Elijah. It is transportive. It is threatening. It's the glory that sat on the Mount Sinai, and here he comes. Now the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, Who is this who darkens counsel? With words without knowledge. So, Job, get ready. Now he says, this is what he says. First off, you are so off, Job. That's basically, you don't have a clue. You've interpreted things without the fullness of understanding. You've caused words to just spew all about. 
Now, prepare yourself like a man. O King James says, gird up the loins and act like a man. You want your day in court? (laughs) Here we go. I will question you. I will inquire. I will... And you shall answer me. You want to know where the answer means? You shall answer me. It's a phrase. One Hebrew word. Yada. I will know you. I'm going to know you. If God says, I want to know you, that doesn't always mean I'm coming here to affirm you and tell you how beautiful you are. He might want to know you and dig out that Leviathan serpent swimming in your heart. And point out that you are just a son of pride like everyone else. You just hide your pride and self-righteousness. But I don't like pride. I'm committed to destroy pride. It's the one thing I'll oppose in everyone and anyone. And mostly in my bride. I can expect the world to be arrogant, but I'm not going to have my people be. So, here he goes. And I'll just a couple lines. He starts with creation. Where were you? When I laid the foundations of the earth... Tell me if you have all this understanding. He begins a series of questions, almost a hundred questions. Yeah, you know, and he just, uh, who determined its measurements? Ken, you know, they didn't get the building check or building permission. Shall you, surely you know, or who stretched the line upon it? To what were the foundations fastened? Who laid its cornerstone? When the morning stars sang together and the sons of God shouted for joy. And then he talks about the sea and he set the boundaries of the waves and on and on and on. Chapter 39. Oh, oh, uh, 31. If God needs to get big, here's here's a good one. Let's get to the consolations. Consolations in the sky. Verse 31. Can you bind the cluster of Pelidius? 3831, or loose the belt of Orion. Come on. Just take a few stars out of the sky. Come on. Come on. I know. Come on. You've been around forever. Verse, uh, chapter 38, verse 32. Can you bring out the Maserath in its season, the constellations, or can you guide the great bear with its cubs? Come on, guys. It's going out. These constellations that are as old as our history of the world, they're still called by their names. He's saying, come on, do you know the ordinances of heaven? <laughs> can, can you set the dominion of the earth? It just. But then he goes on to talk about the creatures in his creation. Chapter 39. We're getting there. Just help, hang in there because of the part that he wants to... 39. Chapter 39, verse 1. Do you know the time when the wild mountain goat bears young? (laughs) Have you been counting down the days? Can you mark when the deer gives birth? This is why Jesus said, if a sparrow does not fall to the ground without your father knowing, how much more valuable are you? Why are we worrying and anxious and living as though life is, is, you know, maybe God's kind of with me, but there's stuff I got to do if it's going to work. Can you number the months that they fulfill? How many months it takes for gestation for the deer, for that? Or do you know the time when the bear, they bear young? They bow down, they bring forth their young, they deliver. He's talking about, I'm present. I'm present at every birth. How much more the birth of men and women, children, babies? I'm present. I am present. And you're accusing me because you're having a bad day that I'm not present. Their young ones are healthy. They grow strong. He goes on to the donkeys, and then he goes to the ostrich, and then he goes to the horse, and he just starts pulling Job into the ridiculousness of his argument. Uh, Verse chapter 40, and I want to get, this is the thing that caught me so strong this morning. Chapter 40, verse 1. Moreover, the Lord answered Job and said, Shall the one who contends with Almighty correct him? <laughs> I mean, really, it's kind of to think that, yeah, I'm going to have an argument with God, and I, I bet it's pretty good. And I, I bet by the time I, you know, share my point, he'll say, you know, I never thought of it like that. 
I think, yeah, I, I consider that. I, I, you know what? I, I think I'm going to put a memo. Maybe we're going to put a, a correction in the next edition. <laughs> but here's the part that just nailed me. He who rebukes God, let him answer it. Then Job answered, because he's now he's, he's, he's getting on the hot seat. And said, Behold, I am vile. I'm a nothing. I'm a vapor. What shall I answer you? I lay my hand over my mouth. Once I've spoken, but I will not answer. Yes, twice, but I will proceed no further. I would think we would be done. Then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, same thing. Pull up your britches. Get your belt back on. Act like a man. I'm going to question you, and I'm going to know you. Because you don't know what I, I know, and you're not going to know what I know until I know you. We're, gonna, we're, gonna, we're going a little further. Now, reason is, I'll tell you, he said, would you indeed, in all my judgment, would you condemn me that you may be justified? Have you an arm like God? Or can you thunder with a voice like his? Then adorn you. Now, this, this is ludicrous, but you can't, when I'm in that, I don't see anything. Until God, can you adorn? Well, just go ahead now. We'll give you a few minutes, Job. Adorn yourself with majesty and splendor. Okay, now you got your majesty and splendor. Now, array yourself with some glory and beauty. Talk about a makeover. Disperse the rage of your wrath. Look on everyone. Now here he's getting to the issue who is proud and humble them. It goes on. Look on everyone who is proud. Bring them low. Tread down the wicked in their place. Hide them in the dust together. Bind their faces in hidden darkness. Now that God, that's our God. And we're freaking out over the earth and all of it's going on. And we don't think that God can do what he wants to do when he needs to do it, when he's pleased with his people. And we want to tell, point out to him all the bad people so he could go take care of them because he's probably been on vacation or because of the bad people that are not doing what he wants. It's just stupid. But you don't see those until God steps in, because what he's looking for is humility. And Job, wanted, Job was ready to be done. And then he says, if you could do this, verse 14, I will confess to you that your own right hand can save you. And it's like Jesus saying, if you can add an inch to your height, or a few seconds to your life, then, you know. Now, what God's, here's the deal, and I think we might even be some of us here, and I, you see, the problem about the answer to Job is you don't, you, the answer doesn't mean anything until you agree with the argument of Job and find yourself in that. I've been there. I've done that. I've done that. I've done this. Why did God pause let Job answer. Why was not God satisfied with Job saying, I'm done. I don't want to, I'm not going to do this anymore. I'm, a I'm in a losing position. I give you back your, I'm not, I'm not. Because he wasn't after Job being quiet or cutting a deal. He was after Leviathan swimming in his heart. The king of pride that Job had exhibited in his response through the persecution, affliction, accusation of his friends. And God was saying, we're not, we're not, we're, we're, we've got something that's going to be far greater for you and for me because I love you so much that I'm not going to leave you like you are. I want you to look like me. And Jesus is most humble. Paul said that today in today's reading, 2 Corinthians 10. I plead with you according to the humility, the meekness of Christ. So I was in a season, and I won't take time to tell you the whole story, but it was a season of such, such pain and anguish and letting, trying to cut my losses and move forward. Not really sure why I was having to suffer the losses, but I felt like if I could just start over in my, my disposition. 
Cammie was the first to voice this prayer. She said, Lord, I release all the things you've spoken and said. I'm not going to try to force them. Obviously, I'm in a position that's not working. It's not going. I'm, I'm crumbling under the weight. So listen, let's, would you just save our children and we'll call it even? Now, me, I said the same thing, but I, I'm, I'm still always, you know, vow to wow or try to impress God or, or try to cut a deal. I said in my prayer, again, these were, this is our prayer. This is your, your soul trying to process. I said to the Lord, save my children. Save California. Save California. Save my children. That's the worst prayer you could ever pray. Don't ever pray that prayer. I linked my children's fate to the California's fate. In effect, God can save two people, five people, or 30 million people in the same. It doesn't save few or save many. But it was a deal cutting. I'm going to let go of this. We'll, we'll call it even. We'll just get this thing settled. I'm, I'm done. I'm good. I'm fine. No problem. Let's... But God knows there's a big problem, a lot of issues that aren't coming forward. So he presses in Job. He presses, he presses, he presses Job. He gets him to the Leviathan, 41. Can you put a hook in his mouth? Leviathan, the ancient dragon. Can you, can you bring him to be a pet for your maids? Can you, can you uh, put your hand to him in battle and you'll never do it again? And I know what Leviathan feels like. Because he is the king of pride, and he entices you into the, into the engagement. If you are, prove it. Do something. Any case, Job is him humbled because finally he sees what he needs to see. I am in pride. I am from a self position of righteousness. Have become angry with the place I'm in distrustful to the one who I trusted in, and I am justifying myself. He sees everything, because what happens in chapter 40, uh, 41, verse 30? Yeah, we'll just close here. On the earth, there is nothing like him. This is speaking of Leviathan, forty-one thirty-three. On the earth, there is nothing like him which is made without fear. He beholds every high thing. He is the king over all the children of pride. Is and still is. That's why Satan could demand from Jesus. I'm going to sift that guy called Peter. Do you call him Peter? He's just a Simon. And he's saying he can hold a place. That, let's see if he can hold that place. He says he's better than everyone. Won't deny God. Oh, I'm, I, I demand access. Jesus, don't let him. Now, Jesus said, I prayed for you that your faith won't fail. Because he's, you're in pride, he's your king. You know, it's like forgiveness. I walk out of forgiveness, I'm in judgment. There's, it's, a, it's, it's a two-way street. It has to continue. So, verse, chapter 42, verse 1, we'll close with this. There's so many comparables. I'll say this to anyone who's, who's reading with us. I read today's Job 40. I saw that God stopped. Job answered, but Job would, God was not satisfied, so he said the same thing. I'm going to take, I'm going to, we're going to talk a little further. He's like, a, can, you, can you feel the Father? Stand up. Stand up. I'm going to ask you some more questions. You're the one accusing me. I'm going to talk to you. I'm going to know you. I'm going to know you. You don't know you, but I know you, and I'm going to know you that you can know you. Job is wishing he wasn't, but he is. So now, for, and so today we read Isaiah 40. Go home and read Isaiah 40 and see if it is not this exact chapter of 40. And Job, I thought, God, how do you do that? He says, it wasn't you. It was just, it wasn't AI, and it wasn't, you know, HI, human intelligence. It was HS, Holy Spirit. 
How would it be on a Sunday? How would it? It's just because, God, if you submit, if you begin to submit to him and say, every part of my life is yours, everything you do is for me to receive. Your word is true. Jesus is the answer to everything. I worship him. I honor him. I perform. I want to find you today in the Bible. He'd just go, oh, watch this, watch that, watch this, watch that, watch this. So Job says, and then we're done. Thank you. Job answered the Lord and said, I know that you can do everything. Do you know that? Job didn't know that, but now he does know that. He learned something. I know you can do everything. And no purpose of yours can be withheld from you. Literally means you can't clip what he started. You can't stop it if he started it. No purpose. You ask. Now he's, now he's, whom is this who hides counsel without knowledge? Therefore, I have uttered what I did not understand. Things too wonderful for me, which I did not know. Listen, please. See, this is the path of repentance. Listen, please. Let me speak. You said, I will question you. I will know you. I will inquire of you, and I will know you. I will question you. You will answer me. I have heard of you by the hearing of the ear. Others have taught me. I've learned from others. I've read places. But now I see my eye. My eyes see you. You just, these. Therefore, I abhor myself. That's not self-pity there. That's not a bad self-image. That is repentance. That is flesh before spirit. Saying, spirit. It's forever God, truth. I am flat. This, what I did was, I am so embarrassed. You know, I, I abhor myself. I can't believe I was such a whiny, brat, angry, frustrated. You know, I just, but it's not even any of those big superlatives. I abhor myself and repent in dust and ashes. See, we came from dust. We will return to dust. And when we, when dust is having trouble, Dust has to return back to dust. It's nothing more than dust can be. I repent. And so it was after the Lord spoke in these words to Job that he, the Lord said to Eliphaz, the Temanite, My wrath is aroused, aroused against you and your two friends. For you have not spoken to me what is right or honest or truth, as my servant Job has. Now, therefore, take for yourselves seven bulls and seven rams. Go to my servant Job. Offer up for yourselves a burnt offering. Take, do the work. My servant Job will pray for you, for I will accept him unless I deal with you according to your folly, because you have not spoken of me what is right, as my servant Job has. So Eliphaz the Temanite and Bildad the Shuite and Zophar the Namathite went and did as the Lord commanded them, and the Lord accepted Job. And the Lord restored Job's losses when he prayed for his friends. Indeed, the Lord gave Job twice as much as he had before. Oh. What a God we have. What a God we have. He's working this depth of work in our hearts. We are but flesh. All man is flesh, and the glory of man like, oh, flesh is like grass, and all the glory of man like the flowers. And that's Job, Isaiah 40. Grass withers, and the flowers fade, but the glory of the Lord remains forever. We'll stand together. Again, Job is not a book you can adopt unless God is adopting you into the book. And I think there's a reason for it because it does answer things that cannot be answered other than to return to the Lord and recognize there's so much more that we going on that we know. Why did this happen? How come that? Why are we here? What about that? And coming lower while he goes higher, we lift him up. Every one of us in this room are going through some things that we can't get out of or been in things for so long we don't know why we're here. 
And yet in this story, we realize that what we need more than an explanation is a new experience with God. We need a return. We need for God to be big and us small. We need Him to be right and us wrong. We need to stand on the rampart like Habakkuk and watch to see what we will learn to say when He comes and reproves us. We don't need to hold an argument and walk away and leave it undone. There's some stuff that God needs to work out in each of our lives and always will. He goes layers upon layers, roots upon roots, not because he wants to leave us naked, but he wants to fully clothe us with Jesus Christ. Um, Heavenly Father, come by your spirit, please. Come to each of your beautiful church, your living members. We are born again. We're not even in a place that life is dependent upon, but maybe we can still live in fleshly self-righteousness, willful disobedience. We don't know, but you do. I know that I know that I know that you're preparing a bride that's going to be just like Jesus Christ, glorious, victorious, triumphant, and overcoming. I know that you have committed yourself to sanctify us in Christ. Jesus, you have committed yourself in sanctification to sanctify us. And I know that your scripture says that you're not ashamed to call us your brothers, even in the midst of our journey of of transformation and sanctification. Jesus, we invite you back into our life as you choose on your terms. We welcome you to step into the thing we're in. We don't know we, we may be pushing to the right, but maybe you want it to go to the left. We don't know. We just say, Lord, please come. Come help us. Come be in the midst of us. Help us. Help us. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. Oh, kia Humble ourselves the best we know how under your mighty hand and in your sight. We submit to God and then resist the devil. We lament, we mourn, we, we, we just, Lord, it's not about anyone else. The only one you're talking to is me. And each of us, it's you and I. It's our faith before God. Just tell the Lord where you think you are. Come, just invite him. I think that's all we can do right now. Say, come on in. Come in again. I, I hear you knocking. I open the door, Lord Jesus. Sit with me. Have the conversation that I need to hear. The end is Jesus. The middle is Jesus. The beginning is Jesus. The answer is Jesus. The way is Jesus. But I don't know that yet. I still have me in in a lot of pockets that won't allow, release you to take dominion. But come, come. I lift up name Christ Jesus. I lift up. Oh my King, I lift high in Christ Jesus. In Your name, everything I need. I lift up the name Christ. We're giving Him permission. I lift high Your name. Oh my King, I lift high Your name, Christ Jesus. In Your name, is everything I need. My Savior, my Redeemer, my Deliverer. You're in everything. You're active. Beautiful Jesus. Above everything, above our struggles, troubles, sickness, pain, confusion, above Him, above it all, Jesus, you're over it all. Oh, 
Heavenly Father, would you bless your body? Jesus, you are the head of your body. We are your church, and we are your body. You fill, we're your fullness as you fill all in all. Fill us, please. Fill us with your Holy Spirit. Fill us with your word. Fill us until we are fully the fullness of God, the fullness of Jesus in bodily form. And we know that you are able and having begun the good work, you'll see it through to the day of completion. And you are the one who begins the sanctification, spirit, soul, and body. So yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Do it. Finish the work. Complete the work in us. Bring us to the next place that we would meet you, worship you, yield to you, see you, be undone. And you take your glory into that realm of our life and begin to inhabit it with yourself. In Jesus' name, amen, amen.